You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link. I'm so glad you're joining us today. My very special guest and one of my all-time favorites and best buddies around the world, author Rita Mae Brown, is going to be talking to us today. She'll uh, be chatting about her latest book, Tall Tell, and we'll see what uh, Sneaky Pie Brown has to say about all that. Uh, so we're real excited to have Rita Mae back on the show and Sneaky Pie on the show again. Oh, and there we go. Cast, it would not be a Pet Life radio show unless dogs and cats were barking in the background. So that's our, <laughs> our that's our tone of applause. So everybody hang tight. We'll come right back after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp, daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And joining me now is New York Times bestselling author of the Mrs. Murphy Mystery Series. She has sold 7.5 million copies of her books. I got to talk to Rena May about that. I'm so excited to have my best bud and friend back on the line. Rena May Brown, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. And, and since we're both writers, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to talk. That's right. I, I think so. I think so. And, you know, I, I'm almost to that 7.5 million copies. I'm, I'm getting so close every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows how anybody sells anything? I don't understand it. But I think we both understand animals, and that's uh, why our life is so rich. That's right. I think you're absolutely right. So we got to start off the show to find out what's going on with Sneaky Pie. How's everything going? A lot of mice well, hunting, a lot of writing. What is going on in that little world? She's asleep right in front of me <laughs> on the desk, and uh, she's quite old now. This is, of course, Sneaky Pie 3, and uh, she's, oh my gosh, she's over 20 now. But what? she's still out there. She brought me a garter snake, a baby garter snake, this morning. I was thrilled. And all the animals are good. And as, as we had just caught up for a minute before we went on the air, it's been a beautiful spring, long and cool. And, uh, and that's been wonderful. And we've got an enormous amount of rabbits and raptors and bear. And the squirrels have made a big comeback there for a while, squirrels and and deer were in trouble because it was not a very good acorn crop for a couple of years. So everything is sort of like booming, including insects. Yeah. Well, isn't that amazing, though, you mentioned the acorns? Because I noticed the same thing. We had uh, a couple of years ago down here in the uh, Georgia area, especially in the mountain properties that I own, you know, acorns were rich, plentiful, big, huge size acorns. And then last year it was, you know, a little dry. And so we had these tiny, puny little things. And this year they're, they're <laughs> popping back around again. You know, it's one thing about, you know, being out on a farm or being close to nature. Even if people have weakened properties, you can see these cycles. And then you start to think, or at least I do, you know, we're just another animal and part of a cycle. And we've somewhat broken it. 
by modern agriculture, but it wouldn't take a lot to destroy part of our food supply. No, a- absolutely. It's such a delicate balance all the way around, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, yeah, but but I think a lot of people don't realize that. And when I write the Sneaky Pie books, of course, I'm I'm not there to give people a lecture in agriculture. But every now and then, I try to just slip something in there, like our heroine Harry Harrisdeen is trying to revive in a very tiny way some of the old kind of apples and pears that aren't grown in and on mass anymore because they're difficult. And, uh, and I keep thinking, you know, people don't realize we're turning into monocrop agriculture, which is great in some ways, but if there's ever any specialized disease, say, that would attack wheat, we're in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, and I, I think people, I think you're spot on in the fact that people take it for granted. Where I grew up, we, there's this uh, town outside of Indianapolis called Carmel. We always made fun of it because there was Carmel by the sea, you know, the luxury uh, <laughs> resort area in California. And then we had Carmel by the corn because we had corn <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. But even then, I, you know, I went back to uh, with my latest book, Talking with Dogs and Cats, which you uh, wonderfully endorsed. So I do appreciate that. I had a chance to go on a little book tour and went back to my uh, old stomping grounds in the Hoosier State. And uh, it was amazing to me how much things had changed in places that I used to visit where there were corn fields and crops by, you know, the hundreds and thousands of acres were now just small, small plots of land, basically, surrounded by, you know, factories or distribution centers or things of this sort. So it was quite eye-opening to me because I used to love that stretch of, uh, you know, about an hour drive from Indianapolis to my hometown of Richmond, and all you could see was corn. Now it's, you know, a lot of that's gone away. Well, and it's everywhere, really. I drive twice a year from where I live, Afton, Virginia, which is right in the mountains, right at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I go all the way to Fulton, Missouri, which is in the middle of the state. So I go on Route 64. So I go through central Indiana, and oh, it is beautiful. Rolling hills, and then you kind of get, once you get a little bit past Evansville, it starts to flatten out a little bit. But there's still a fair amount of agriculture, but I keep wondering, okay, how long before something like Evansville, begin, well, it's already getting big, takes over a lot of this rich land? Because once you build on it, you don't produce anything anymore. That's right. And that, that breadbasket is critical to our nation's wealth. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're bringing back all wonderful memories for me because I, I spent some time, we'll say, in Evansville, Indiana and handled all the uh, southern Indiana and Illinois areas down there in my former life as a telecom executive. And, uh, and you mentioned the Blue Ridge Mountains. The property I own here in Georgia is right at the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains on my side of the neck of the world. Oh, cool. So, <laughs> so next time we're up there, you know, I'll, I'll holler at you. I'll give you a, a hey, see how things are going. Do you think mountain people... I mean, I, I kind of think people divide into mountain people, ocean people, and then what I call the flats, the people that want to be in flatlands. But somehow we all manage to understand one another. But I love getting up in the morning before the sun's up, and, and then it starts to creep up, and you see the color at the top of the mountains, and then it comes down, and a lot of times there are these beautiful, there's ground fog in the hollows and in the in the seams along the mountains, and then it starts to lift, and it's almost like a cauldron. I keep thinking, you know, Macbeth's witches are up there stirring the pot, <laughs> and uh, but it's fabulous. I mean, this country is just 
just utterly fabulous. And one of the things that is fabulous about it, of course, is a show like yours, Pet Life. I wonder, is there a pet life in Russia? I don't know, but do people care about animals the way we do in other places? I think they do in England, and maybe they do in France, but in some of the other countries where there's been more of a struggle and there's been political unrest, I suspect there isn't time to give animals a thought. Well, I think so. You know, I think the world is is shifting. I think more and more countries are becoming aware of how important animals are in our lives. We always knew they're important from an agricultural standpoint, but from a pet and loving and nurturing and from just a uh, an enhancement on your overall life. I think more and more countries are starting to uh, realize that because we see a lot I of hope growth. So. Yeah, we see a lot of growth in that, uh, especially when you follow trends like the pet food industry. Uh, you know, countries like China is seeing a huge boom in the, in the pet food industry, and they're actually trying to improve upon what they used to do. Uh, obviously, they used to produce you know terrible food, and they'd sell it back here to the, to the states <laughs> and everywhere else. But now they're they're trying to make a shift. So I think we're getting there. I think it's like everything else in the world, Rita May. It's we're getting there. I like to stay optimistic and saying we're turning the right corner. It's just a big old ship that you have to turn. It's taking a long time to get there. Yeah, and everybody's on their own timeline. One of the things about this book, Tall Tale, is, as you know, there are two timelines. And the one in the 18th century, I think it's 1784, in the book you have, I'm actually writing the one for next year right now, there's a dog. There's a very important dog called Piglet. Mm -hmm. And he was fun to create, but he was also fun to create because the upper classes, and this is a British war prisoner who decided to stay, had very close associations with lap dogs and pets like that. And, of course, kings and queens like Charles II had the King Charles Spaniel. So the upper classes, I think, had the wherewithal to enjoy these kind of animals. And then it starts to move down into the middle classes, which by the 18th century it had. So the research I've done on relationships to animals has been a lot of fun and very eye-opening. It makes you realize that there has always been this hunger for a connection. I mean, most of us know we're not the only animal on the face of the earth. We just think we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we now have enough evidence to disabuse us of that notion. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, the, we'll never admit it. I think it's the key. <laughs> Even though I think we know better, we'll never admit that well, our animals are much smarter than we are. There was just a study, I don't know if you read it, but it, it, there was a little blurb in the Manchester Guardian Weekly, which I get, and I think there was also a blurb in one of the big American papers that might have been the Wall Street Journal, which is, boy, if that's not a transformed newspaper. Mm -hmm. But they did a study with horses here in the U.S., and horses can recognize human emotions from photographs. Absolutely. I mean, stuff like this that's just amazing. And in Tubingham, Germany, about, oh, God, it's got to be 10 years ago now. We all know this. But they did a study to prove that dogs have emotions. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, modern man, so to speak, is unwilling to give credence to anything that isn't scientifically proven. They might believe it, but they won't say anything because they don't want to look stupid. You know what I mean? Yes. Or like a soft touch, I guess. But there's ample evidence, particularly with things like dolphins and whales and, and elephants, to realize there is a deep inner life. Now, I would agree with that, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. If it's in, in our society, for the most part, if it's not in black and white, if we can't hold it in our hands and have some sort of scientific proof, then it can't possibly be real. The question I've got for you, though, is are we doing a good enough job of getting that message out there? 
because you know I see a nice article every once in a while, some great research, and, and it's published out there. And then that seems to be it. There's nothing that really, if you talk to the normal average Joe on the street, he would still go back to you know how you trained dogs back when he was a child, or how you treated right. animals when they when he was young. You know, Tim, I think that uh, the critical link really is our public schools. If we can get some of these in, this information in the biology classes, and even before that, in grade schools, in little ways, like when they, you know, we used to every now and then have a nature walk in school, even though it was a farm school. You know, we'd go out and do things. I'm sure everybody else did, too. And I think every grade school in America has the trip to the dairy, at least we did, <laughs> which was always quite something. If we can introduce it there and show some of the reasoning abilities, there's a book that just came out by Jennifer Ackerman called The Genius of Birds. I recommend it to everyone. It's extraordinary, and it literally is about the genius of birds. And as stuff like this moves into our greater culture, hopefully it will get down to the kids because that's always the answer, to me anyway. Yeah, I would agree with that because especially when they're the younger, the better. Because their minds yeah. are more open and their hearts are more open and, and nobody has sort of taught them how they should think or what they should do to that point. So I think the earlier the impression you can make upon them and, and get it into their consciousness, uh, the better off we're going to be. It really is fascinating, some of the stuff that's coming through now. And, I, and like you, I read as much as I can and try to be current. And there's so much I can't keep up with. But about a year ago, the National Geographic on the cover of the issue had the picture of a fox. It was a wonderful, wonderful issue, and I'm sure people could get it on the Internet or however you do that or Google it. But it, the whole cover is a beautiful headshot of a fox, and it is about the canine mind and domestication and how some of these people have domesticated foxes, but how it, it goes across the grain or the board to a lot of animals. This idea of not just training an animal, but meeting it halfway. Because you can only really be effective with an animal if you learn their ways. They don't just have to learn yours. And that's one, been one of the struggles for me in the Mrs. Murphy series. Because I have people, they're loving people, and they care about their animals, but they miss a lot, you know. It hasn't occurred to them that they really need to study animal behavior the way they once studied their English or their math or whatever. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break, and we'll come back with uh, Rita Mae Brown, talk to her a little bit more about her latest book, Tall Tell, and uh, talk to her about her, her writing in general. So I'm excited to, to do that. So everybody hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. They called it elephant skin. It was rough, wrinkly, like a Brillo pad. His hair was falling out in clumps. Petey stopped eating and all his hair fell out. Our golden retriever, Sundance, he scratched incessantly. There was hair all over. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh. com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. Within two weeks. 
weeks. The shedding slowed down to almost none. The scratching went away after a few days, and Sundance's coat was starting to get shiny and glossy. It's a 180 turnaround. His skin has cleared up. He is not in pain. If your dog has shedding, dry skin, excessive scratching due to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. We're talking to uh, New York Times bestselling author and my favorite person in the whole world, Rita Mae Brown. And, of course, Sneaky Pie taking a little cat nap on the side there. So we're excited to have her on board as well. <laughs> Now, Rita Mae, the latest book, Tall Tale, you had mentioned in the first segment that research done. Share with us a little bit about that because I'm not sure of your close fans. Maybe they know this better than most people. But I would assume after all these years of writing this series, the 25th in the series of the uh, of this particular Mrs. Murphy uh, series, they would think that, okay, you're just rolling off. You know, you're writing these interesting, fun mysteries and whatever. But there's a lot of research you put into this. I owe it to the people that spend their money. I do. I mean, if they're going to pick up my book, I would like to perhaps give them a bit of consolation in their daily life or, or a little bit of an escape maybe. But, you know, if you want to learn something, it's in there. I always try to introduce a few odd things in each of these books, whether it's the crime, which is often about some form of corruption. In this particular book, the crime really starts in, the, in 1784. And there is a very unfortunate, there's two unfortunate deaths. One is a murder, and the other is someone who just commits suicide, who gives up. Who can't take it anymore, really. Life, it's a slave woman, and life has been too brutal. And that comes back in the 21st century. And the payoff is in the 21st century. I feel that all of us are living with ghosts, whether we realize it or not whether it's the ghost of Citation, the great racehorse, I don't know, or the ghost of people around you, but nobody really escapes history, which is why I become so upset at how badly history is taught and how it's taken over by people who generally have a commercial or political interest in twisting it. So I tried to present as clearly as I could in this book what was really happening at that time in Virginia with people who owned a lot of slaves. It's, it's not about slavery, but some of the most interesting characters are slaves, and, of course, the one woman who kills herself as a slave. And when you read the book, you understand why she did it. A disappointment so great she just couldn't go on. 
But, you know, so I do a lot of research, and of course I'm in the middle of all of it. Here I am in Virginia. And at some point you realize most people did the best they could with what they had. And you cannot judge somebody from another century by your standards. The English-speaking people were first people to really question slavery in a significantly moralistic way. And that started at this time in life. I mean, I think it was, what, 1788, where the British Empire said you couldn't sell slaves anymore. That was the beginning. I'm not far off in the years here. But, but it takes a long time for a significant change like that to come into effect. All societies have been built on slavery. Ours was just so recent because it was so raw. It was a raw new land. And, and so I'm, I'm looking at these people who are part of a system. They're not bad people. They don't know any different. You know what I mean? Right. And as it begins to dawn on the two younger women of this one family, they don't really know what to make of it. They're caught. They know something's wrong, but what do you do? And it's interesting. And the little doggy leads one of the women to a hideout. And so that sort of gets things rolling. But I had an enormous amount, I can't say fun, but I loved learning. And years ago, when I was a young woman, I read the 13 Slave Chronicles that were gathered during the WPA under FDR when there were a lot of make-work projects like the Conservation Corps and all that. And it's, every state has a chronicle, but it's only the southern states. And it's the memoirs of those that were born into slavery. And in the 30s, there were still many left. In the North, there were a lot of slaves, but slavery was phased out earlier and there was nobody left, so I guess that's why there were not any any slave chronicles for, like, New York, which had 40,000 slaves in 1820 and stuff like that. But it stayed with me, and I kept thinking, I, I, these people are teaching me a lot. Is there any way I can get it out there? Because very few people are going to sit down and read these huge 13 volumes. And the other thing that struck me was some of these people mentioned a relationship with an animal. Maybe it was a mule or something else. And you could tell that this was something that gave them tremendous comfort. That stuck. It doesn't matter where you are. Love gets through. There you go. I like that. I like that. I'm going to steal that one from you right there. <laughs> but I think but, that's true. But, you know, that's, but that's amazing. You know, sort of what we just it talked about previously. You know, are other countries really uh, realizing the value of animals in their life? And now you're bringing to a topic of a whole different culture, a whole different part of our history and part of uh, you know, the slavery history. I would think for the common person that didn't do the research or read your books, they wouldn't even think twice that a slave could have a relationship with a mule or a donkey or something, maybe even an animal they're working with there at the uh, the plantation or the farm that they form this close bond with. Well, they do. I mean, and we have ample evidence of that after slavery. But there's a young fella, he's thin. And he's, uh, well, when the series first started, the one before this, he was 15 now. Of course, he's 16. And he has ability as a writer. And so he works with the Catherine, the beautiful white woman whose father owns everything. But she's also a natural horseman. And these two, they're close. And at one point, there's a little, there's a little thing in there. You enter into his mind, so to speak. He can imagine freedom, but he can't imagine life without Catherine. And that's what we are. We're human animals. We make connections whatever our relationships are. This idea that everybody that's a slave is in a constant state of anger and anguish 
it's not true. People found beauty and good wherever they are. And to try to cast our, and again, this is very politically manipulative, our trying to twist history to serve today's purposes is a great injustice to those that went before because they were very strong and very resourceful. And I keep coming back to that. I think about this kid a lot. And there's a, uh, the cook, the main head woman among the slaves. She's the most realistic character in the whole book. And uh, and I just, I'm fascinated by her. But I'm, I'm fascinated by anybody who manages to negotiate a difficult life. And millions did. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're going to talk about constant injustice, and you're going to look at the world as an injustice collector, then should you write every woman is hating all men? You know what I mean? Right, Where does right. it stop? Right. And, and it, it's, it's just not truthful. Humans touch one another in a variety of ways, whatever their position in the social hierarchy. And oftentimes an animal carries the message. That's fascinating. So when you do your research on this topic or any other topic that you've delved into, are you looking for the animal element in that, or does it just naturally appear, or how does uh, how do the two combine? Well, I'm alert to the animal element. I can't say I'm looking at it. I'm just trying to immerse myself in the time. And fortunately, I live in a place where there are many plantations still existing and, and working that were built in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and then later. And then, of course, during the time of Monroe, when the good times rolled. I mean, if you could walk and not drool on your shoes, you got rich. There's a lot of that left. But you see it. Like Monticello, I, I urge, I beg everybody listening to you to go to Monticello. The director is a woman named Leslie Bowman, who has really made a commitment to making this a world site of freedom. And she has completely revitalized the passages where the slaves carried the food to keep it hot, and the kitchen, there's, and in the old days, there was a summer kitchen and an indoor kitchen all over, anywhere in the South. And also, the slave quarters that went down the row, what's called Mulberry Row, it's extraordinary what has been done and what has been found. And you look at this and you think, this is like a giant corporation. And the stables have been revitalized and this and that. And the great thing is, if you look on the back of your nickel, there's Monticello, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And on the top is the dome. Well, you can't go up in the dome as an average citizen. You have to have a special tour or, you know, whatever. Well, anyway, Mrs. Bowman took me up there. Oh, wow. Or Miss Bowman. She kept her maiden name. <laughs> and we walk, we're walking around this catwalk around the dome. And there are these little doors. And she looked at me. She said, do you know what those little doors are? Well, I did. I said, those are for cats. Jefferson had cut cat doors so that they could get in and out and kill the mice. Oh, my goodness. It's so cool. But again, an intelligent, a highly intelligent human being who liked cats, who decided, I'm going to give them an opportunity to do an even better job for me. And he did. And give them easy access to their own doors. I, wouldn't, I did not know that. So there you go. Our ancestors' relationship with animals was, in many ways, far more realistic than ours because they utterly needed them. Yes, they did. And it was different. But I like what you said there in the history behind that because, you know, go back to what we talked about earlier, 
oftentimes our ancestors and, and those before us thought of animals as working animals. And what you're doing here is you're sort of dispelling that, that yes, they're working animals, they're, they're vital to the farm, vital to the, to the plantation, etc. But also they're loving parts of the family. They may not be cuddled and put little outfits on like we do today, you know, dress them up in, in, in their Easter bonnets or whatever it is. But nonetheless, they did, uh, they did care for them and thought of them more than just a working animal. One of the few times George Washington was close to tears. He didn't cry, but he was very close. It was when one of his favorite horses died. But I have fun doing the research, and I have fun writing these books, a lot of fun. And, uh, and I'm very grateful that other people have fun when they read them. But I think, oh, I think your show is proof positive of this hunger that people have to learn more most of us know we really don't know very much. We, we don't know all the animal languages, and we've been taught to think that, you know, we have dominion over the animals of Genesis in the Old Testament, and maybe not. Maybe we have dominion over some, but, and if we do, maybe we ought to rethink that. But people are, a lot of things are opening up now, Tim. It's, it's of course, not just animals, but that's what you and I care most about, I think, in many ways. Right. But we're... We're beginning to understand that a little humility goes a long way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I sure hope so. I do think we're turning that corner. Because, you know, my what I always say and what I've learned and what I fully believe in is that we're we're all here for a purpose, and we're all made of this energy. You can call it energy, spirit, soul, essence, whatever you want to label it. It's all the same thing. We have it. Animals have it. Every living creature has it, and we're here to fulfill that purpose and, and fulfill it in harmony and in love. And we do the best we can every single day, and then we should move on, and we should treat each other with respect in that fashion. And I think we're getting there. I think uh, I see us opening up more. I think us seeing us trust our relationships with our animals and for humans craving to really understand that and, and believe that what we feel and hear and what's within us is true, that we don't have to necessarily touch it or feel it. And um, hopefully we'll get to the point where it doesn't necessarily have to be a scientific proven method in order for someone to believe. However, as you said earlier, we have that too. And we're getting that message out there that, hey, it's, if all you believe in is the science side of things, well, guess what? We've got some proof in that as well. Well, I think it, you really touched on, a, in a way, a raw nerve. People want to believe. They want to be close to animals. They want to believe in other people. And we have a media that is constantly selling anger and fear. Mm -hmm. And the presidential race has just ramped it up. <laughs> but is that who we are as Americans? Are we really that low and ugly? I don't think we are. And, I mean, I think people are mesmerized by it in a way. I mean, who would ever believe that two men running for president would talk about their genitals? Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it simply beyond comprehension. And we just keep tuning in like it's a, a wreck on the side of the road. That's <laughs> <Sure>. the <laughs> but I think this too shall pass at some point. I think we need to be reminded not just by our animals, or maybe by our animals. You know, you go to the local SPCA and you see the people working there for nothing. A lot of them, the director gets something that, you know, not enough to be rich. I mean, they're doing it because they really care, and they wind up caring about each other, too. And you see people like this wherever. You, you go to a hospital, and there are people there. Yes, they've trained, and they get paid for it, but they care. And I 
just hope we can be reminded that we are a good and generous people. We are not what's reflected on TV. And why is it anger and fear? Because it's self. And because we're programmed to pay attention to fear because that's how we used to save ourselves. You know, if somebody screams fire, you ran out of the building. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and now they're screaming fire all the time. But sooner or later, I don't know if the media will ever correct itself, but it may be the people just stop watching. I don't know. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, I always wondered, you know, I know it won't sell today. It would, it would, uh, a network like this would be off the air in a, in a heartbeat. But you know, why, don't we have, you know, why don't we have the good news network? So instead of spending the last you know, 90 seconds of our news broadcast with some feel-good story, why don't we make the whole broadcast the feel-good story? That's yeah. what I would like to see, you know, because uh, that's how these message, positive messages get out and makes you feel good, good about the world and good about yourself and what you can do to help. But that ship is slowly turning. I'm not sure if you and I will see it in, in this lifetime, but uh, as my friend Shirley MacLaine says, we have many more lifetimes to come. So maybe we'll see it in one of our other ones. <laughs> well, well, good. Then death is just an interregnum or just an intermission. That's you right. Know? That's we, right. That's right. We can gather our energy for the next life. That's, but, you know, the only thing that, that worries me about reincarnation is that some of us are going to come back as ourselves. Because <laughs> we didn't get it right the first time. Yeah, right. Oh, God, I don't know. But I oftentimes will sit with my animals or, you know, I do rescue work and this and that. Some of the horses, and not a lot of people can do that because you've got to have the land, you've got to know horses. And you look into those eyes, and there's a soul there. Yeah, absolutely there is. And if you spend your time in that quiet space like you do with them, you can connect with that soul. You can connect with that energy and trust what it's sharing with you. And that's, in some ways, why these two younger characters, the woman is 20 and the slave fella is 16, they're connected to some of these horses who have very distinct personalities. And, of course, the woman can't really do business like her father does, and she's got a good business mind. So she does it sort of under the table, so people don't know she's working with them as she is. But she can be who she is with the horses, because everybody knows you're either born with it or you're not. And so even if you weren't, quote, the right gender, if you had the ability, you could make your way. Dolly Madison was good with horses. You know, th things about our forebears that people wouldn't think of. And people literally do get out of the way. So it was one of the few avenues a woman had to prove herself or to get involved in the, in the wider world. I mean, you can only sit and rock a cradle so long. And that was fascinating to me, reading about the early horsewomen and trying to get all that together. And I, I mean, mostly what I really try to do is when you read my books, I want you to be right there. I want it to be like a party and you're meeting all these people at the party, so to speak. And you meet their pets and, and their pets come and sniff you. And, I, you know, I just it's just another way to learn absolutely and, and as always you do a brilliant job of that i love how you intertwine the history the 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 messages hidden messages in there those little gems i love those you wrap in some great characters great human characters and then of course the wonderful animals to tie it all together it's uh i always think of your work rita may as each part of the work could stand on its own as its own separate book but what makes okay. it so brilliant, you have all that, all that blend. It's a great stew. It's a great Brunswick stew, stew, as we'll say here in Georgia. You know, you have some great writers in Georgia, obviously. And one of them is a woman named Karen Slaughter in Atlanta. And uh, every now and then we'll get to chat. And the problem with the series for all of us is 
somebody picks up the book that's published today, well, you have many books before that, but you can't keep giving out all the same biographical information about the main characters. So you have to try to do it in these little thumbnail ways so the person reading this book for the first time isn't lost. And it's easier to do with the animals, obviously, with with the human characters, but it's an interesting challenge and one I would have never imagined because I never thought I would be writing a series. Yeah, and I love how you do that. I know we talked about in the past. I have no clue how you keep – I would have to have this master spreadsheet of, okay, when did I introduce this character? Uh, when did I introduce <laughs> this scene, this city, this topic? You know, I'd have to have a separate person just to keep me on track because I have no clue how you go about doing that. Well, you know, a lot of writers do. They've got those masters. I'm not one of them, but I just I rely on memory. If it ever goes, I'm in deep trouble. <laughs> but, but that's okay. I mean, remember once Ingrid Bergman said, you know, the key to a happy life is every decade a new husband and a bad memory. <laughs> I always thought, you know, that girl's on to something. She's on to something. Yeah, exactly. It seemed to work for her. <laughs> Well, listen, we're coming to the end of the show today. Uh, you know, Everybody pick up a copy of Rita Mae's latest book. It's Rita Mae Brown and Sneaky Pie Brown, Tall Tell, a Mrs. Murphy mystery. It's a fun read. It's a great read. I love reading your stuff and uh, always interested. And you're already working on the next one, so I won't hit you up on that. We'll get you back on the next show, and we'll talk a little bit about the next one in the line. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you again. And, uh, you know, Rita Mae, good luck with everything. Oh, thank you, and you too. Thanks. All right, well, we're coming to the end of the show uh, today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions for me, you can email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's tim at petliferadio.com. And I'll uh, answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, a post, write it. Publish it, do what you want to with it, but get it out there, get that message out there. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.